Well, I can't think of a more perfectly aligned Sunday than Palm Sunday to reflect on 30 years of making our life a prayer to Thee. On the way in, you should have received a note sheet. If you haven't already, pull that out. If you need to get up, you can grab a note sheet at the back tables. Um, I put a little order of events because for the Christian faith, followers of Jesus, this is the most significant seven-day period of time on the calendar. It begins with the events we're looking at today, and I want to put the order of events for the week. I want to encourage you at home, get the family together around the table and talk about each day of the week and the significance. Let's put our feet where Jesus put His from this Sunday to next. You see, in the 1770s, in the Boston area of our own country, Americans were lining the street and holding up big like signs that they made back in the 1700s, whatever materials they'd make signs with back then. And on the signs lining the streets of Boston, they would say this, we serve no sovereign here. We serve no sovereign here. We serve no sovereign here. And of course, if you know the history of our country, it was part of our breaking out from what we saw was the oppression of the King of England which eventually manifested in the Declaration of Independence that we signed on July 4th of 1776. We serve no sovereign here. That might have been very helpful political rhetoric for our nation at the time. But as followers of Jesus on Palm Sunday, here's what we reckon with today. We wholeheartedly surrender and serve a sovereign today. Today is about kingship. Today is about the acknowledgement of one who comes into Jerusalem, and the title for Palm Sunday is Triumphal Entry. He's coming into reign and rule as a king, and his followers say, we serve and surrender to this sovereign with our whole heart, King Jesus. You see, that's what Palm Sunday is about. Palm Sunday is about crowning the king. You can't understand Palm Sunday if you don't understand Jesus' kingship. Matter of fact, you can't understand Jesus, really, unless you understand him as king. And so, here's what we're going to do today. For the next few minutes, we're going to look at Luke 19. We're going to look at Luke's account. And we're going to look at what does it mean to crown this Jesus king. And we're going to look at three things in particular from the text We're going to see to crown Jesus kings mean that we're going to obey him when it makes sense and when it doesn't, that we're going to worship him in every season of life, and we're going to trust him to do what he said he would do. And so the first section, obey him, comes from verse 29 of Luke 19 and following. It says, as he approached, Jesus approached Bethphage and Bethany. Now, geographically, that's a, it's a little village about two miles southeast of Jerusalem, so not too far. He's headed to a village there at the hill called the Mount of Olives. He sent two of his disciples, saying to them, verse 30, go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, underline this next line, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Tell him, the Lord needs it. 
Now, 550 years before this, the prophet Zechariah wrote about the king of God's people coming into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey. And so, God's people were be expecting the Redeemer, the Messiah, the long-awaited Savior. He would come, and Jesus was absolutely going to fulfill all that was written about Him before. So, this is very purposeful and intentional what Jesus is saying here. It's not random that He's saying, go get this donkey. It's the fulfillment of words that were written about Him five and a half centuries before. Now, if you're the disciples, put yourself in their shoes. And Jesus comes to you and says, all right, men, it's go time. You're like, all right, let's go. Let's go. It's go time. It's go time for what? I'm going to step in to this next chapter of being the Messiah. I'm going to go into Jerusalem. We're going to create a processional. We're going to head into town. It's go time. And in their heads, when they hear Jesus saying, it's go time, it's triumphal entry time, they're no doubt thinking, all right, roll out the red carpet, strike up the band, get the trumps and the, get the trumpets and the trompones and the, get the processional of kingship, royalty. I mean, get it all lined up. We're going to have a party. Our king has come to event now. Like, kick the Romans out. We're done with the Romans. Put the Jews back in power. This is what's going through their head. They're like, it's go. It's time. Let's go. And then Jesus points and says, okay, we're going. It's go time. And here's what I'm riding into town on. I'm going into town. Put the picture up there for us. Nobody who wants to make a statement rides into town on a donkey. Donkeys are for hobbits, for ordinary people, for day laborers. That's who rode donkeys. And not just any donkey, I had you underline a donkey that no one has ridden on. Now, I don't know if you noticed when you came to church this morning, did you see the donkey out here? Did anybody get to see the donkey? Did you see the trailer of the donkey out there? There's a trailer of a live donkey, thanks to Hunter and Jen Smith. It's right over here. They brought a live donkey. Hunter and Jen own Wonder Tree Farm on North Michigan Road, and they were kind enough when Kim, our children's director, reached out, and Kim's had this idea. She wanted to interact the children today with a donkey. And Hunter said, I'll, br- I'll bring a donkey. So that's what's going on now. So later on, ask your kids about this. But one of the things that the kids are going to ask Hunter about is, hey, Hunter, what would it be like for this donkey that's never been ridden? Hunter's donkey hasn't been ridden. Like, they started waving palm branches, shouting Hosanna, and one of the kids just jumped up on the back. Hunter, how would that go? Not well, right? If you, listen, for those of you who don't ride these kinds of, like, you don't slide on the back of a donkey who hasn't been ridden, and the donkey just says, oh, where would you like to go? No, that's not how this works. Which is, I think it's a miracle in the text that I know for me, I've overlooked for many times I've preached Palm Sunday text, I thought, this is amazing that Jesus says, go get a donkey that's never been ridden, and listen to now what the scholar D.A. Carson, I put this quote in your notes, I thought he represented this so well. He says, in the midst of this excited crowd, an unbroken young animal remains completely calm. Hear this, Why? Because he's under the hands of the one who calms the sea. Thus the event points to the peace of the consummated kingdom. When the wolf will live with the lamb. He's quoting Isaiah 11 here. And the leopard will lie down with the goat. And a little child shall lead them. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Do you see it, church? 
things become what they're meant to be in his hands. You know, that's not just true for a young donkey. That's true for any person who crowns Jesus king. You want to find your true self? Crown Jesus king. You want to discover meaning and purpose, why you're here and what this life's all about? Crown Jesus king. You want to understand the story that you woke up in this morning? We woke up today, breath of life in our lungs. We woke up not into the small, brief story of you and me. We woke up into a grand, epic, eternal story. Crown Jesus King. You'll get context to that story. Things become what they're meant to be in His hands. Bring me a colt that no one has ridden. In verse verse 35, here you get the obedience. What did they do? They brought it to Jesus. They just do what he asked them to do, which reminded me of a story I heard about a dad recently. A dad was having some struggles with his 10-year-old son. The 10-year-old son wasn't interesting in obeying dad. He was basically wanting an explanation. He wanted dad to explain why he wanted his son to do certain things. The son said to dad, hey, if you would explain to me why you want me to do A, B, C, or D, I'll, I'll do it but I really need to understand the why. So the dad finally had enough, and he said, okay, I'll tell you why, son. You're 10, and I'm 40. (laughs) And do you see, there's a difference between obedience and agreement. You see, if you're, like, interested and preoccupied, like, if you're waiting for Jesus to give you the why, it's more like an agreement, and Jesus is your consultant giving input. Versus the disciples, listen, the disciples are simply responding with an immediate yes to the command based on the one who's asking. That's obedience. That means when Jesus taps us on the shoulder and whether it like makes sense to us or not, Based on the one being asked, if we want to fill it up with, well, Jesus, could you kind of unfold some of the whys behind it, and then I'll make a decision. That's an agreement, and he's more of a consultant. Versus the disciples, see, this is a surrender to kingship. You're in the presence of the one who's the king of kings, the Lord of lords, who's riding into Jerusalem as the Messiah, the long-awaited anointed one, and he says, bring me a donkey that no one has ridden, and they simply do it. Whether it matches their preferences or not, I'm sure their preference was a much better processional than that. They just do what the king asked them to do. And that's a picture of what it means to crown him. Church, that we would be the ones who say, when the Lord says in verse 31, tell them the Lord needs it, that that's enough. That we'd obey, that we'd be quick to say, yes, that's what it means to crown him. As king. And then verse 35, let's pick it up. Let's see what happens. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. That's it. They didn't have some like donkey expert breaking the colt in. They just set Jesus on it. That's a miracle right there. The colt didn't freak out. The colt simply rode into Jerusalem with the crowds chanting and the palm branches waving and the peoples gathering. As he went along, the people spread their cloaks on the road. So this is their way of saying, well, Jesus, this isn't quite the processional we were thinking for our king, so we're going to make it about as good as we can. We'll keep the dust down. Throw your cloaks down to keep the dust down. We'll, like, throw our cloaks over the donkeys. At least the donkey's hair doesn't get all over you. It was their way of trying to show honor and dignity to their king as best as they could. They're throwing their cloaks. They're making 
away. And verse 37 says, when he came near the place where the road goes down to Mount of Olives, the whole, notice, the whole crowd of disciples began what? Joyfully to praise God in what? Loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. They're remembering right now. What are they remembering? The blind are seen. The lame are walking. The dead have been raised. Prisoners have been set free. They're remembering all the things they began to see, all the things they walked with Jesus in. They're remembering all these things. They're saying, Mark records and Matthew records, Hosanna. They start shouting the term Hosanna. Hosanna to the King of Kings. Hosanna has come. That that word means the Lord saves. Salvation is entering. Our long-awaited Redeemer has come. That's what they're proclaiming. And it's not like a, you know, Zionsville golf clap type thing. I mean, they're getting after it. From the depth of their being, they are exclaiming glory to this king who's riding in on this donkey. Verse 38, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. So here's our second picture. To crown Jesus as king, we obey him when it makes sense and when it doesn't. And we worship him in every season of life. You see, the disciples recognize what we need to recognize today. Church, when we gather, we're in the presence of a king unlike any other king. This person on the back of a donkey, he's not like any other person you've met. He's set apart. He's separate. There's no one like him. And they recognize they're in the presence of that kind of a king. And when you're in the presence of that kind of a king, their response tells us the appropriate, like, worship. They said they recognize whose presence they're in. Verse 37 is the rightful response, which, church, this is why. Some of you through the years have asked, man, why is music such a big deal at Eagle Church through all the years? This is why. Like it's been since the early days of Eagle, when we virtually had no money to do anything, Pastor Kerry went to a young man named Bill Bean, who worked at a Christian bookstore, and Bill was selling keyboards. And Kerry said, hey, can I buy a keyboard from you? And Bill said, yeah. And then Kerry says to Bill, do you know how to play it? And Bill said, yeah, I can play it. And Carrie says, good, I need someone to play some songs for Eagle Church's first gathering. That's how Eagle Church's first worship pastor came to be, Pastor Bill Bean. And man, did he play that keyboard to the glory of God. But it quickly went from just Bill kind of in a little hotel banquet room. We built a stage in our first gathering at 73rd Street and then eventually at 71st Street. And we would fill the stage to the point when all of our tech crew today, it would give them emotional hives to the level of the amount of cords and wires and everybody was stacked on top of each other. We had trombones and trumpets and drums and guitars. We had more vocalists than microphones. You don't believe me? Take a look. 1998. See if you notice who's on acoustic guitar. They're going to do a little closer shot here. Hang in there. Sing it again, your love. Look at all the people on stage. Who's on acoustic back there? Mr. Tom Langy Bartles, ladies and gentlemen. How about that, Tom? You remember those days? Now watch as they span across. There's Bill seated on the keyboard. Mark Jenkins on bass, Ronnie Reese, John Sprouse, Nicole McElroy, Jim Nelms, 
Elaine Brenner. Look, Mr. Steve Martin back there in the back. Steve, what are you playing? Are you playing keys back there? Yeah, he's playing more keys. We didn't have enough keyboards, I guess. We need more keys. Look at that. Listen, this is what, as a church, music has never been warm-up for the sermon. Worship is about God's people's response of being in the presence of the king. That's what's defined this church. That's why we put so much time and energy. And some of you are like, man, why do you guys have so much space up here and all that? This is why. This is, when Pastor Kerry was designing the stage, he's like, well, we packed the whole place. We couldn't get any more bodies up there. He says, so the stage here is larger than the first facility that Eagle Church gathered in. <laughs> Might have been a bit of a stretch, but anyway, hey. It's what it... It's at the core of this church what it means to crown Jesus King. And of the many things I've learned from being with you through all these decades, I, you've taught me how to worship Jesus in spirit and truth. You have taught me as a body. You have taught me what it means to gather in every season of life. I've stood beside some of you in this sanctuary or in those sanctuaries, arm in arm, through tears shed, through deep grief and loss, in deep and dark valleys that you've been through, and there you are in God's house, lifting up Jesus' name. We've been there together. And we've stood on the mountaintops, in the breakthroughs, and all the ordinary in between. It's what it means to be a people who understand the presence of who they are in. It's King Jesus. So that's what we do today. We grab our palm branches symbolically. You know, Solomon carved, carved palm branches into the, into the temple itself, into the doors and the pillars of the temple. Why? Because when they'd wave palm branches, it symbolized the victory of the king that was coming to town. So Solomon put in the temple that the God he worshiped and served is the God who claims capital V, victory. That was a part of the DNA of God's people when they gathered. And that's a part of our DNA here. That we crown him king, church, week after week, not just corporately, right, for sure in here, week after week, Sunday after Sunday, but privately in your own worship gatherings and in your small groups and in your gatherings when we recognize we're in the presence of the king. We get our palm branches, we lift up our voices, we lay our cloaks, and we proclaim Hosanna to the king of kings. Hosanna. Now, some of you are like, but, but Eric, you know, I'm just not in that, in that music. You know, there's some people who strategically come to church after the music ends. I just want to encourage you, you're missing out. Because, you know, worship isn't just like a church people thing. Some of you say, well, I'm just not that into worship. Well, God says, actually, you are. Because worship isn't just a Christian thing. Worship is a human thing. If you're human, you're a worshiper. Listen to how Apostle Paul said it in Romans 1. I put this in your notes, the message translation. People knew God perfectly well, but they didn't treat him like God, refusing to worship him. They trivialized themselves into silliness and confusion so that there was neither sense nor direction left in their lives. They pretended to know it all, but were illiterate regarding life. They traded the glory of God who holds the whole world in his hands for cheap figurines you can buy at any roadside stand. So here's C.S. Lewis's interpretation in Romans 1. I put this quote in your notes as well. 
Lewis says, where we are forbidden to honor a king, we will honor millionaires, athletes, film stars, and even gangsters. For spiritual nature, hear this, like bodily nature will be served. Deny it food and it will gobble poison. So you see that? Your spiritual nature is going to be served. The question isn't whether that's going to happen. The question is, by what? And sometimes the journey to crowning Jesus king, like in Luke 19, it's, it's a journey of many failed crownings. Have you noticed that in life? Sometimes we've got to stumble our way to finding King Jesus on the back of that donkey. Failed crownings. In your 20s, there's a lot of failed crownings in your 20s. You know what happens in your 20s? You think Mr. Right or Miss Right is going to be the king of glory. And then you walk the aisle, and shortly after the honeymoon, you go, that ain't it. (laughs) Just helping you out, 20-somethings. It's not it. If you're pressing your spouse to be your Messiah, it's a swing and a miss. God never intended your spouse to be your Messiah, intended your spouse to be your spouse. And do you see the pressure that puts on a marriage to extract out of a fulfillment of a longing or spiritual nature? You're gobbling up something that's never going to satisfy what's craving deep in here. And then in your 30s, you might really be getting after it in your career, and then you crown your career king. And man, you're bowing down to your career, and you find out your career is just driving your life. And it's eating your lunch. And you still go to bed at night with that ache on the deep on the inside. And you're like, That's, that king's not delivering And then you go a little bit later and you start having kids. And then you crown your kids king. And they become your masters. How's that working out? Kids are a wonderful gift from the Lord. But they can't be your king. And when you try to make them your king, you put so much pressure to extract out of that relationship. Do you see it? The failed crownings. What your heart is searching for. What Palm Sunday says, look to the man on the back of the donkey who rode into Jerusalem. That's on the inside, a beacon calling out. He's the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He's the Redeemer. He's the one your spiritual nature is longing to feast upon. The question isn't whether you're going to worship. G.K. Chesterton said the the problem with humanity isn't that we don't worship anything. The problem with humanity is that we worship everything. Yes. Because you're made deep on the inside. Spiritual nature is going to be served. So today's a good day to reflect, huh? What are you going to crown as its food? I position to you, King Jesus. There is no feast like him. So what does it mean to crown Jesus king today? First, we make a commitment to obey him when it makes sense and when it doesn't. Bring me the colt who's never been ridden, huh? And they just do it. Or it means to worship him in every season of life. You recognize you're in the presence of someone unlike any other. And when you're in the presence of capital K King, your response is grab your palm branches, wave them, throw your cloaks, lift up your voices and proclaim Hosanna. Hosanna to the King of Kings. That's what your spiritual nature is searching for. And for some of you, perhaps this Easter season, this is a time to get that settled. Maybe that's what's drawn you here today. Maybe you've been on a little bit of a search on the inside where there's some failed crownings going on, and today you can set it right and crown King Jesus to be the food that your soul's been longing for. And then lastly, verse 39. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd, they see all that. Now, who are the Pharisees in the storyline? They're like the religious elite. They're like the 
professor of religion at the local college. They're supposed to help people seek God. They've got lots of strong opinions about religion, but they've missed Jesus. Good thing that didn't happen today. Just imagine if sometimes we might get so steeped in religion that we miss Jesus. That's the Pharisees. The Pharisees are there. They've got commentary. It's not celebratory. They say to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. You're like, what? Rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. That's Jesus correcting them. Say, hey, yeah, you're so steeped in your tradition, you're missing the capital K king who's riding in to glory right now. You're missing it. And this is where you get this picture of what it means to trust him, to do what he said he would do. Do you see the very way Jesus is riding into Jerusalem? Church, do you see this? He presses the people who are gathered witnessing this processional, he presses them to make a decision. Crown him or crucify him. You can't remain neutral about him. You can't remain neutral anymore. The Pharisees, they're going to choose their camp. They're going to chant crucify. And there's a whole bunch of disciples around here going to go, not crucify, crown him. Crown him or crucify him. You can't remain neutral about him anymore. Because to understand Jesus as Savior, as your Redeemer, as your Helper, as your burden bearer. Jesus as Savior comes with Jesus as King. You don't get Jesus as Savior minus Jesus King. That's like saying, hey, okay, come in, Eric, leave Simpson. I'd say, no, I'm both. I'm Eric Simpson. You can't say, come in, Jesus as Savior, and disregard Jesus as King. It doesn't work that way. He's both. Jesus Christ is the King of glory, and on Palm Sunday, we gather together, and through obedience, through worship, and through trust, we crown Him that King of glory. And that's how Palm Sunday Church gets personal. You see, at some point, Holy Week has to go from being a tradition that perhaps your mom, dad, grandma, grandpa are encouraging you and dragging you through At some point, it has to get personal. And today, here's how it gets personal. Are you going to crown him king? By the way, it doesn't change his kingship. You and I's decision, he's no less. Who's the one missing out if you don't crown him? Not him, you and me. Pretty good commentary scrolling across our news feed. What does it look like in a world that doesn't crown the Messiah King. And so as I draw this to a close, I, I thought, I can't think of a better, like, three-point explanation of 30 years of Eagle Church than these three. Like, it's just like God to align Palm Sunday to be our 30th anniversary, and I specifically was thinking about our founding pastor, Carrie and Melissa Bowman. Here's a picture of them up on the screen. You know, and I, when I think about who embodies obedience, worship, and trust, I think about Carrie and Melissa Bowman. And all we've experienced together are 30 years as a congregation. And Carrie and Melissa you're watching and listening to this at some point, uh, as a body, we just want to say thank you. We want to say thank you for your sacrifice, your dedication, your holy, crazy faith that you modeled in front of all of us. 
Like we're all experiencing what we're experiencing in the life of this body in large measure because you said yes to Jesus. You said yes to a prompting that honestly didn't make a lot of sense at many turns. And some of us in this room reminded you that it didn't make much sense. And you kept steady and faithful. And I'm confident, Carrie and Melissa, there's going to be a crown a big pile of crowns awaiting you in glory someday. And I know you and Melissa's heart posture is you're going to toss them at Jesus' feet. But this morning, we want you to know we're thinking of you, we're remembering you, and we're celebrating God's work in and through your yes to Jesus. Can we do that together? So, Palm Sunday of 1992 at West 73rd Street, 188 people showed up. Here's a picture of Pastor Kerry at the doors. And yep, that's Kendra and I. Some of you are like, you sure? Yep, that's me and all my no hair and sort of hair glory. A big old hood scoop up top. And now you know why I shaved it off. 1995. And do you see who's back there over... Matt Miller's shoulder. Who's there in the doorway? You guys know him? The one, the only Mike Vanderipe who's running our slides today. Can we put our hands together for Mike Vanderipe? <laughs> Love you, V. V has been a part of this church from its earliest days, and he's run the tech side of things when it, he did the cassette tape duplication. <laughs> you students in the room go, what is that? And he did the CD duplication, and now he's still on our tech team 30 years later. 188 people showed up at our first meeting, church. Did you know that? 188 in the very blue chairs that you're seated in. Same blue chairs. Did you know that? First loan Carrie took out was for the chairs. He needed $10,000 to buy 200 of these chairs. And so he wrangled up some family friends and he convinced a bank to loan him some money and he bought 200 blue chairs and 188 people showed up for the first meeting and we began to gather from 1992 to 1994. We were at West 73rd Street in Park 100. And so if you were a part of the Eagle Church family from 1992 to 1994, would you please stand? Stand up for us. We want to recognize you. You were a part of that original founding. (laughs) Honey, you got to stand up. 1992-1994. Stay standing a minute. These are your founding members of the church. So if you've been wondering around here, like, who's got the longest history? Right here. This group right here. Thank you so much. So many have driven in from other places to be a part. Thank you so much for being here. We honor, we recognize you for being founding members of our church. And then from there, have a seat. We went to West 71st Street. Here's a picture at 71st Street. So Carrie found out there was a furniture store going out of business right along I-465. Do you guys remember that furniture store that used to be there? And so we just gutted the furniture store and we left all the track lighting up. That's what all the track lighting is. It's all the little furniture display areas. We just knocked the walls down and set chairs up underneath it. You remember those? And those are the same blue chairs. We had to buy a few more. Same blue chairs. And look, those are all the vocalists. We had two vocalists per mic. Tech team, how's that going to work on the mix? (laughs) That's what we did. That was Eagle Church at West 71st Street. One of my favorite stories from West 71st Street. I remember the day Tom and Wendy Langebartles came to West 71st Street. 
and their eight children. The rows were 10 chairs wide at 71st Street. Tom sat on one end, Wendy sat on the other, and their eight children filled in between. They filled up a whole row. Pastor Kerry leaned over to me and he said, attendance went up 10% today. <laughs> Tom and Wendy Langenbartles, you first started coming there. Us, and then, of course, we've been so blessed by all their ministry in so many ways, but one of their sons, Bryce, leading us today, you know? Think of all the Langubartles' investment in Eagle's ministry uh, through the years. So if you became a part of Eagle Church in the West 71st Street days, so that would be from around 94, 95 up to 2000, would you please stand? West 71st Street folks, let's recognize them. Oh, yes. Hey. Everybody be seated, but Mark and Jess Strickland, you keep standing. So here's the, here's the story you have to ask Mark and Jess Strickland. That doorway right back there, is that true, Mark? Is it that doorway right there? That doorway right back there is where Mark Strickland met his wife that's standing beside him right now. <laughs> true story. Pretty cool story. They're about to celebrate their 20th anniversary. Way to go, guys. So West 71st Street days. And then we kind of outgrew this furniture store down at West 71st. And Carrie and the elders went on this very thorough journey. We got to find some property. We got to buy some land. So we started driving up I-65. And if you, if you know from 71st Street to 65, there's not an exit because of Eagle Creek Park. The next exit is the Zionsville exit. So we got off at the Zionsville exit and we were looking for some property that was in this area. And here's the parcel that was purchased, 94 acres. And here's the group of people. Do you guys remember in the early stages, we called it the time to build campaign. This is the original TTB team. Do you remember the Cody's, the Cripes, the Allgates, the Kings, and Scott and Colleen Barlett? You remember those guys? There they all are. They were the original group that kind of stepped forward and said, hey, we're going to help lead the charge to raise some money to buy some property and they're standing at what now is the main entrance that you drove on this morning. That's where they're standing. And do you notice what's behind them? Just corn, folks. <laughs> lots and lots of corn. And so to take you on a little stroll, Carrie, I can't remember, we had a pilot in the church. I don't think it was Mark Strickland. I don't think you were flying planes yet, Mark. But somebody took Carrie up in an airplane and took some footage. And here's his narration of the trek. I want you to just kind of see, this is from 1998. See if you see anything's different. You are now overlooking the I-65 and 465 split in northwest Indianapolis. Just this past month, over 350 acres at this site began to be carved up for a new multiple subdivision complex called Royal Run. You can see the current dirt roadways and lot sites for this large development of almost 700 homes. This development is very significant for this area of our city. You will notice also the sewer and utility lines being laid in Royal Run as they are extended from Marion County. The reason this is important is that the 334 interchange will now be able to support the vision and growth that many developers are calling for in this area. Open fields will soon become scattered rooftops, which to us, well, represent a growing mission field of people to reach. This interchange of 334 and I-65 is a convenient, uninterrupted drive from other parts of Indianapolis even those that might at first seem well out of our reach. We believe residential and commercial and retail growth will begin to flourish up the I-65 corridor as we've seen this past decade on the opposite side of town along I-69. Our L-shaped piece of property is located along a half mile of frontage on Whitestown Road, approximately a quarter mile north of Highway 334. Whitestown Road is already beginning to carry a significant amount of north-south bound traffic into Boone County. 
Here you are seeing the parcel we have secured to buy. You are circling the 94-acre L-shaped piece of property now. The adjacent acreage to the top and left of the L-shape has been purchased by the Zionsville Soccer Association for a 50-acre development of athletic fields. 25 years ago, I think the Lord was guiding and leading. Some of you only know the context of the community you live in as current, but those of you who were there for the original, you got to believe when we, when we drove out here and knocked the corn down to dedicate the building, we knocked it down to like lay out. <laughs> like, okay, Lord, it was kind of field of dreams. If you build it, they'll come. Like, <laughs> there's just nothing out here. But Carrie and the board made a significant decision, hired Nazareth Construction. Carrie Wagner, would you stand for us? So Carrie Wagner and his team, stand up. Carrie's here today. Here's a picture of the construction. Thank you, Carrie. Put a picture up there. On Carrie Wagner's crew, Carrie, you may remember when you hired this man, Carl Ver joined Carrie Wagner's crew. And Carl spent over a year with Carrie and his team building this building. And then Carrie convinced Carl, I hope that wasn't too big of a problem for you, Carrie, I just think about this now, I'm like, convinced him to leave Nazareth and come to Eagle and to maintain the building. And said, hey, Carl, you've built a building now. Would you come and take care of it? And for the last 22 years, we know Carl Ver has loved this place, prayed for this place, cared for this place, cleaned this place, maintained this place. So Carl Ver, where are you? I ask you to be in this room, and you know Carl. He'll find a discreet place to be. Carl, where are you? So Carl is in the back. Let's give it up for Carl Ver. We recognize you, Carl. If there's ever going to be a plate with big capital letter servant labeled over someone in heaven, Carl Ver is going to be in bold. And Carl, you may remember that on opening day, Carrie, you may remember opening day, we ran out of money for landscaping, so here's what it looked like. That's all we had for grass. That's it. The only strip of grass in 94 acres was right there. And that's the only tree. Do you guys remember that? That's the only tree. It's still out there, by the way. It's still wind kind of tilted, too. But... That's it. That was for opening day. We're like, Carrie's like, well, at least we got to get some grass down there by the front doors. <laughs> so if you became a part of Eagle Church from 2000 to 2010, would you please stand? From 2000 to 2010, would you stand up for us? You're part of that foundational transition group. We recognize you. We recognize you. You were a big part of helping us make the move from Pike Township up to the Zionsville area. It was just so much change. And it took $4.8 million to do all this, to buy the land and build the building. Our mortgage at its peak was $26,000 a month. Can you feel that? You had to sit in that board meeting. And then year after year, you gave and sacrificed. And God stepped in and moved some mountains and did some holy, crazy things. And then this occurred in June of 2019. We brought the vice president of First Merchant Bank here, and we burned the mortgage. You guys remember that? June of 2019, and so many of you, from the smallest of gifts to the largest of gifts, thank you so much for the sacrifice you made. 
Little did we know how significant it was going to be to burn that mortgage then. Only the Lord knew, like we'd be staring at COVID less than a year later. I mean, just think about that. And that we're able to navigate and lead steadily through because of your sacrifice. And so, if you've become a part of the Eagle family in the last 10 years, so from 2012-ish or so on, would you please stand if you become a part of this place just in the last 10 years? Please stand up. We want to recognize you. And so, Eagle Church, I can't imagine a more perfectly aligned day for our 30th anniversary than Palm Sunday. Because for 30 years, we have sought to steward this singular message, Jesus Christ is the King of glory. Eagle Church is Jesus' church, bought with His blood, filled with His Spirit, carried along by His Word. This is Jesus' church. The people who call Eagle home, they're Jesus' people, bought with His blood. The mission that we're on is Jesus' mission. The explanation for this 30-year history is singularly this, Jesus Christ is is the King of glory. Nothing more, nothing less, always, forever, it will be. And so, church family, for the 30th time, we walk into Holy Week together. I don't know how many Holy Weeks we'll have together. This is our 30th one. Let's do so in this posture. Let's crown Him King. Crown him king. What are you waiting for? Say, well, pastor, how do I do that? Obey him when it makes sense and when it doesn't. Just say yes to Jesus. Worship him in every season of life and trust him to do what he said he will do. Let's go into this holy week in that posture. And if you want to know, what does it look like for a group of people for 30 years to band together around the kingship of Jesus saying yes to obedience, to worship, and to trust. One final video run before we wrap up. Here's what it looks like. One dream We come from everywhere With just one dream This home is where We all can share Just one dream one day, I still believe if we can see the possibilities, the world can be a better place. So many miracles I have for men around us every day. Look to the mountaintop, not the mountain in the
Let's pray together. Jesus, I think of Psalm 115 that says, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory because of your love and faithfulness. Thank you for every image. Thank you for every memory. Thank you every, for everyone that has invested and said a yes to Jesus to contribute to these 30 years. And at this threshold moment, we just covenant our wholehearted obedience, worship, and trust to you. We declare it afresh today. You are the King of glory. In Jesus' name, amen.